Anybody in the room feel a little pushed this week? Feel a little beat down this week? Felt a little hot under the collar a couple times or a little despairing? And the good news is we were made for times like this. We were made for days like this. Natural disasters, all kinds of miracles going on. Having babies that are being saved, we're having... People supernaturally provided for. We're watching the kingdom of God being advanced in every area. Sometimes there's a little pushback. But we're going to win. Who's been attending the Monday night Bible study? Well, then you should remember our Genesis teaching. Genesis 12, we have the call of Abraham. All the blessings that were going to come upon Israel and us grafted into them through one man and his family. Then 15... We have a warning about what's to come and a promise about them being made into a great nation. Return with me to Genesis 46. We're going to pick up in the story with Jacob. I enjoy our Monday night Bible studies. Does anybody else? Three people are there. I'm going to start... Second verse. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am. He replied, I am God, the God of your fathers. He said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. You should know from our Bible studies why Jacob was so afraid to go down to Egypt, and he had to have the Lord speak to him. It was promised that they would be made into a great nation, but they would also be in prison. They would face misery. The Israelites are on the edge of what God promised on that day. Jacob is going down to Egypt, to the very place that his children's children will be enslaved. But at the same time, he's stepping a little bit closer into that great nation that God had always destined Abraham to become. Who in this room has heard from the Lord at least a little bit about your mezuzah statement, about your family function. If you're sitting here, I would assume it's because in some way the Lord has turned your heart towards LCM's mezuzah statement. You want to be prepared for what God is calling you to do. Sometimes we forget about the fact that that time period in Egypt, it's mixed right along with the promise. We are on the edge as a body of many things that the Lord has promised. Remember when he spoke about meat on the bones, that we would have an increase. And we're watching disciples come in to replace those that were sent out. And yet there's growth pains that come along with it. I remember days when my father would look at me and tell me that there would be 50 chairs in a garage. It didn't seem like it was possible. He would tell me that they would be full. The Lord was going to bring them in at a time where we didn't seat five. And yet, the Lord has so surpassed that, not just in numbers, but in how His gospel has advanced all over the world. Amen. We've watched it touch nation after nation after nation. Watched disciple after disciple reproduce what was here. None of this was ever without growth pains. We are on the cusp of what God has called us to, much like Jacob was in this moment. And His reassuring voice was there telling him, Don't be afraid. Go down to Egypt. I'm going to bring about what I promised. I'm going to bring you back out again. There's a message uh, called Bones and Sticks uh, in the LCM drive that talks about how 
They brought his bones back up. They took Joseph's bones back up out of Egypt because of that promise. Let me begin to think about some of the promises that God has made to us. He's promised that he was going to add meat onto the bones. He's even given words about digging around the tree, cutting off what doesn't bear fruit. The Lord is pruning us. This is what we were made for. This was the reason that we were purposed. Just like Jacob was purposed to see his people suffer and then come out in victory. They didn't go into Egypt the same way that they came out. Let's go to Exodus 33. Should be least familiar, but in Exodus 20, 21. Who's been getting something out of the Monday night Bible study? I have been. I've gained an increasingly profound respect for Moses and the law of love that is the Older Testament. Amen? So in Exodus 33... It's been a passage that I spent a lot of time reading on before that, you know, something about it just kind of strikes your heart and says, I want that. We're going to start in 33. Let's see. We'll start in uh, the 12th verse. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people. We have not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is yours, your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and that with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? At this moment, he's looking ahead to what the Lord is leading him into. He knows about that promised land. He knows about what God is going to change Abraham's family into. A great multitude. Meat on the bones. The kind of church, family, and life, nation that the Lord had promised. It's funny, you see the original mission statement over and over again. One life, one family, one nation. It's a biblical concept. We see Abraham, one life that becomes a family, that becomes a nation. And here Moses is leading that nation that was prophesied about in Genesis. And he says, Lord, if you found favor with me, don't send me anywhere without you. I can't go without you. See, we hear all the time about favor. Favor ain't fair. Favor of God, you know, gave me this Cadillac, gave me this Escalade. But you're LCM. That's not what you think of as favor, right? He said, if you found favor with me, teach me your ways. Teach me who you are. Teach me how to walk. Teach me how to do this. See, Moses, right here, he's pressing into the heart of God for what he's called to do. That's what it means to find favor with the Lord. We heard some excellent messages recently. Wade, Pastor Wade spoke a little while ago, and he referenced Second Chronicles 20, the 10th verse. And they had this overwhelming adversity. People were coming against them on all sides. And they said, what are we going to do? Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Consistently, the Lord is speaking to us about fixing our eyes on what he has called us to. Not the distractions that are all around, not the things that seem pressing right in front of us. See, but God came in like a mighty rushing water for them. 
and he delivered his people. We've heard excellent sermons about seeing greater things, about the kind of ministry attrition rate that we see around us, but what the solution is. The solution is finding that heart in favor of God, pressing into it and ignoring the circumstances. See, God is no less pleased before the flood happened or after the flood happened. It doesn't affect our eternal state with Him. It's just a circumstance. God's promise is still true. God's promise about the entire people group becoming a multitude and a nation was completely true while they sat in Egypt and they were enslaved. It's time to get a little bit of perspective about what God is bringing us into. I am blessed to have a little one on the way. And we've been told that we're going to experience some labor pains along the way. We haven't quite got there yet, but we're a few weeks out. If we weren't having labor pains, that mean that we're close to the promise? If my wife, sitting pretty over there with her red hair, doesn't experience some labor pains, can we see the birth of Titus? No? I might suggest to you that the King of Kings is bringing us a little closer to the promise that he has already made. Don't shy away from the labor pains. It's time to give birth to life. Would you put Psalm 34, the 22nd verse on the screen? Who in here loves the Psalms? I know a lot of people that like to read them before and after, like especially. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and buckler. Arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue to me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. The context of the psalm is David's crying out and he says, these lions are coming against me. Those who persecute me without cause. They say, aha, I've caught you. Like they were looking to trap him. Something about the Psalms, it gives you this, it's different than reading an account in Chronicles. There's some raw emotion in there. David is feeling drowned by the adversity that's coming upon him. But something in there says, let the Lord arise. He's going to be the salvation for my very soul. Who in the room has felt a little bit underwater a few times this week? You felt like you're drowning, like you can't get over it? See, That has always been the testimony, that it was a little more than anyone could handle. It was supposed to be more than even King David could endure on his own. But then, when we seek the favor of our God, he comes in like a mighty rushing water. He's the salvation to our very souls. He contends with those who contend with us. Flooding is really no big deal. Adversity is really no big deal. Really, any imposter, whether it is victory or defeat, It makes no difference. What the word of the Lord is stands forever. Turn with me to Zechariah 11. (laughs) I sometimes affectionately but humorously teased a good brother of mine who spent eternity in Zechariah. Forever and ever and ever. Every time I asked him what he was reading, he was in the same book. Does anybody know who that is? He's wearing a Tesla shirt. I know why been watching the Lord speak through it over and over again. And I was reading in Second, or, uh, Zechariah 11, the seventh chapter. 
reminded me of a few things. Zechariah 11, the seventh verse, I mean. It says, So I passed to the flock, marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed. Then I took two staffs and called one favor and the other union, and I pastured the flock. In one month, I got rid of three shepherds. He's throwing out the leadership that has been falsely ruling over Israel, leading them astray. And he says, I'm going to lead them with two staffs. Does anybody remember from our Bible study what staff represents? It's authority. It's standard. There's markings on it to indicate what the Lord has already done to remind us. We might need to return back to our staff. The standard of God that was already put in place is authority. And there's little niches that are on there that remind us of the time that he brought us through the Red Sea. We want you to look around. Just take a minute. How many miracle children are around us right now? JJ, do we have a miracle child? All around us, we are surrounded by men and women that have been delivered from Pharaoh's hand again, again, and again. And yet somehow, he talks us into believing that our circumstances is different this time. It's different. Lord, how can you possibly deliver me? Or better yet, I have sinned so much that there is no possible way. See, what I want to encourage you is to arise and go back to the Lord. Let's seek His favor. Now, what was the other staff? Is anybody in here ever used two walking sticks? Legitimately, like you're not just playing around? Like, I'm going up this mountain and I I want to make it. So you pick two walking sticks. This is a bit unusual. We have two standards of authority that brought back the people that were in some serious adversity. It was the favor of God in unity. Brother and Elder Baj over there has spoken many times about unity and the necessity of it. I watch it burden his heart. Something about spending this many years in the kingdom and helping support multiple churches, he's learned the value of unity. The Lord set that standard there for a reason. See, I've spent time bickering over things that suddenly become completely superfluous when there's a little bit of adversity. What's going on around us right now was meant from the very beginning to cause us to seek the Lord. Not just to seek Him, but to find His very favor like Moses did. I'm not going anywhere without you. I need to know your ways. Show me how to handle this, Lord. And Moses is quite possibly the most unifying figure that the world had ever seen at that time. I've gained a new respect for him after going through some of our Bible studies. The man who was a prince and was cast out and spent years shepherding sheep. And after the Lord had humbled him through that, he's now standing before the presence of God with millions of people on his shoulders. And the two things that are marking his life right now as a complete, utter, dependency upon the favor of God that he can go nowhere without it and that he must learn his standards from it and then through that he's about to go unify people that are sometimes a bit of a rabble a bit rebellious a little bit like our own hearts sometimes do you ever know something that is right and there's this voice that's screaming in there the way that we subdue our flesh and we cause our whole households to stand for what God has called us to is we seek his face again We take up both standards. We take up both staffs. Sometimes it takes that much to stand. When the weight feels a little bit more than you can possibly handle, 
might cause you to grip a little more tightly the things that God has called you to, to seek his face a little bit more, to remember the importance of the people that are sitting on your left and right. See, I'm not the same without Buddy. I'm not the same without Steve. I'm not the same without Cody, Socola, or Gabriel. God has united us for a purpose. And when one man falls down, all suffer for it. Every one of us have got to cling to that unity as we seek the Lord's favor together. There's no other way for it to work. The Lord will raise up someone to fill a place if you're unwilling. But how much sweeter is it when you face adversity as brothers, as men of God that are called together? See, as Americans, we think of our own personal lives. But a more Jewish perspective is we came out of Egypt and we will go into the promised land. I want to tell you, LCM, we will go into the promised land. There's some labor pains right now, but we will see the will of God fulfilled. Press in. Don't allow any divisions between you, not in your households, not as a body, and most importantly, not between these men that are shepherding the flock. You watch over and over Israel. They keep getting angry with Moses and Aaron. And they're the ones that are walking by those staffs. If we all join in together, what has God promised that we are not going to see fulfilled? I want to see him fulfilled. Do you want to see him fulfilled? Yes. Let's keep going. From Zechariah, let's go to Philippians 1.27. Say, hey, the New Testament. You're beating me. So how do we apply this? We often talk about concepts that, yes, I agree to. Yes, we should seek the favor of the Lord. Yes, we should be united. Let's read this verse and see if it lends a little light on how that gets practically applied. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Why would it be important to say that if circumstances weren't going to lend to us not conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. In fact, as Christians, we were made for times that are a little darker, for times that the rest are falling behind in fear that aren't standing for what they were called to. Whatever happens, whether it be flood, whether it be disaster, whether it be seed of division, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. We can feel some things that feel like opposition. We have to oppose darkness at any cost. Whether we see it in natural disasters or amongst our own number, when we obey the will of the Lord, it doesn't matter what the cost is. It doesn't matter what it takes to get to Louisiana. It doesn't matter what it takes to keep your household right. It will cause us to prosper. It will cause the gospel of Christ to abound. It will cause you to stand firm. See, Paul didn't want to be concerned. He wanted to know that they were standing firm. So how do we do that? In unity, as one man, they sought the face of God so that nothing might frighten them. 
This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved by, that, by God. For it has been granted you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now you hear that I still have. At the time that he was writing this, all the way through, the testimony of his life was one that contended for the faith, was one that had to stand firm and fight for unity. And he's imploring them, me, us tonight, to do the same. Let's join together around the things that God has called us to. We should lock arms a little bit tighter. If you've been one who's kind of haphazard with fellowship and discipleship, like when it's convenient, it might be time to reassess that. It might be time to allow your arms to lock a little bit tighter with those that God has called you to. Because by necessity, you're going to have to. If Matthew, Pastor Matthew is crossing through some waters, we're seeing floodwaters rise, and he has each of his little girls behind him, how closely do you think that he'll keep them? How closely do you think those little girls will want to stay to their father? See, there's a flood of dissipation all of the time that is waiting to wash you away from what the Lord has called you to. How closely are we holding on to him? How much gap do we allow between him and what he has firmly attached us to? Because the more space there is, the more drag you feel. Knit yourselves closely with those that are around you, with the pastors that are around you, with those that he's called you to partner alongside in, in either long-term, short-term ministry. We can't abandon our post because things are difficult. This is what we were made for, saints. This is what the original promise was for. This is what God has promised LCM, is that we're going to experience labor pains, but we will see a birth. I want to see that birth. There's fruit that's going to come from this body in our local area as well as abroad. All that we have to do is press into him and refuse to be disbanded. Let's go to Luke 22. If we're going to talk about adversity and pressing into the king, what would be a more perfect example than the life of Jesus? Luke, Luke 22, we'll start in the 42nd verse. Actually, we'll start 39th verse. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He was warning those around him. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Saints, you know the context here. What is the man struggling with? What is the adversity that is, is at his door? And amongst his final words are him reaching out to those that are around him and say, hey, don't fall into temptation. Pray. Press into the king. And then pressing in himself and standing back up with the will of God. That is our finest hour. That is our example. The perfect living example of how we were supposed to live. He had to press into the king. He had to reach around those who were close and say, hey, you need to be in his presence. Let's do it together. Come pray with me. Come read with me. Let's come worship for a little while. I've had a terrible day. Let's go seek the face of God and then let's do his will because his will is better than ours. Let his be done. 
Would you put Micah 3.8 on the screen? But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, declared to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord. Mess up your theology. It's pre-Pentecost, and he says, I am filled with the Spirit of the Lord. When you think about the circumstances here, this is a lot like Jesus. In this chapter, he says, I am surrounded by lying prophets. I am surrounded by those who hate me, who hate good, who do nothing but lie in the name of the Lord. And he says, I am filled with power. Jesus is on the way to the cross. Men are coming to take his life. And you see, he is filled with the Spirit of God. Who in here would consider themselves a Book of Acts church? Charismatic, if you will, someone who believes that the gifts move. Who in here would like to see Pentecost? See, Pentecost was made for days like this. It was made for when you were surrounded by liars, for men who wanted to take your very life. Pentecost was not for comfortable days. See, I want to see Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, it was poured out for times like this. It was poured out for days that we were in desperate need of it. And you begin to think about the amazing testimonies and miracles that we all love so much. What happened in Exodus? The Red Sea was split. We saw fire come from from heaven and lead them at night in the desert. We saw the most miraculous things that have ever been done. The faithful witness and testimony that the prophets laid out. They were surrounded by men who were seeking their life to silence them. We see the life of Jesus that is to be esteemed above all. And men were always plotting to trap and kill him. And in the book of Acts, they were hiding in an upper room. Why? See, they had a promise. And they were in that upper room seeking the favor of the living God. And you know what? They were doing it together at any cost. No matter how long they had to stay in that upper room. But very tongues of fire came down. Do you want revival? Do you want power like we see in the Word? Do you want Pentecost in your life? Then we need to press through Egypt. Saints, you're getting a little bit closer. We're getting a little bit closer. Labor pains are intensifying, but it should encourage you. This is what we are made for. This is the promise of God. I'm looking forward to seeing miracles like we've never seen them before. We want to see miracles, and we often see them overseas more than we do in other places. I mean, we see them regularly in our church, but I've never seen miracles quite like I have in India at times. You know why? It's because they are pressed. It's because they are desperate and in need. Let's not despair, little church. Let's not despair that things have gotten a little difficult. See, I'm preaching to myself here. This is where we get to see the kingdom of heaven. This is where we get to see the book of Acts come alive in our own lives. This is where we get to see the seas split. And it will before us. With that in mind, let's see. Let's go to... Actually, I want to read you something from Spurgeon. Many men have acclaimed him the Prince of Preachers. This is July 25th, daily. I'm going to read you just a couple excerpts from it. 
Losses and adversities are frequently the means by which the great shepherd uses to fetch home his wandering sheep. There is no making lions tame if they are too well fed. They must be brought down from their great strength, and their stomachs must be lowered, and then they will submit to the tamer's hand. It goes on and it says, It is a blessed sign of divine life if and when to his God. Men have to endure these kind of embarrassments. Blessed are the waves that wash the mariner upon the rock of salvation. In the last verse here, it says, I will arise and go to my father. Spurgeon is trying to illustrate here through the median of lions, dogs, all kinds of powerful things. That there's something in us that was made to have to experience these kind of things. It says, blessed is the soul that is washed upon that rock of salvation. Who in here was born again at a time that was just the easiest you've ever seen? I was not. Anyone else? No? And yet, isn't that one of the most blessed times in your entire life that you still look upon smiling? See, we get over and over again to experience the same resurrection power. If we want to be lions in the kingdom, if we want to be men that are bold for righteousness' sake, that don't fear loss, we have to let the master teach us and tame us. Lions don't learn when they're in captivity and well-fed. We don't learn to truly cry out to our God unless we're in a sea that feels as if it's sweeping over us. But somewhere in there, the still voice of the Holy Spirit is crying out, Arise and go unto my Father. Go back to the one who saved you originally. Go back to the one who pulled you out when you felt like you were going to drown already. Somehow we forget to go back to that same father. We think, I've got it now. I'm all grown up. I know the law of prophets and writings. God will continue to bring us to a point of desperation so that we can learn his ways, so that we can take the word of God and the discipleship that he's given us. And together, in unity in the faith, we can affect that world with it. What it means to see the promises of God is to be wholly desperate and on the edge all of the time. It's to feel as if you can't quite do it and then we see the kingdom birth. I want to see the kingdom birth tonight. Do you? We're going to see the kingdom birth. We're already seeing it. There's just more on the way. God has been good to us. Spurgeon quoted Hosea 5. Let's go to Hosea 5, the 10th verse. Over and over again in the Word, you hear about Judah and Ephraim. After the split, it's the two heads of Israel. And God is constantly trying to unite them because sin had separated them. And you see here, we're going to read about what is happening to the people of God because of adversity. Judah's leaders are like those who move boundary stones. I will pour out my wrath on them like a flood of water. 
Ephraim is oppressed, trampled in judgment, intent on pursuing idols. I am like a moth to Ephraim, like rot to the people of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness in Judah, his sores, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help. But he is not able to cure you, not able to heal your sores. Has anybody in the room spent a little bit of time searching for something else to heal that void, that need, that aching pain? Sometimes I find myself looking to the Lord absolutely last. But he's trying to teach us better than that. He was teaching his own people better than that right here. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. Then I will go back to my place until they admit their guilt and they will seek my face in their misery. They will earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. It goes on and says, let us acknowledge the Lord. Begin to find out here, the Lord's intent was always to set us in our rightful place with him, to restore us. In some cases, we bring that kind of judgment and trouble on ourselves. But he always intended for there to be life at the end of it. Two days, it will revive us. And on the third, he'll restore us. Three days and three nights seem to be a consistent theme throughout the word. You see it with Jonah. You see it with Samuel. It's the time period between life and death. You see, some men held out for three days and three nights and saw the deliverance of a king. Some did not, and they awaited everlasting shame. But the Lord warns us about it. He laid these things out as an example. Three days and three nights are laid out as a time of pressing for us. It's a time to press into the King of Kings, to seek His favor and spend it united and see the deliverance of our God. Two days He will revive us, and three He will restore us. Turn with me to Luke. We'll go to the 15th chapter. Should be a familiar story. This is the story of the parable prodigal son that's what it says often our pastoral staff has taught on it and it might be better to think of it as the heart of the father or the good father it clearly demonstrates the heart of the father here because there's so many prodigal sons there's never been anyone quite like this father let's read the 18th verse put it on the screen I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran out to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
ESV here says, I will arise and go to my father. That's why Spurgeon said it. Apparently, this is the translation he was reading. Sometimes we get caught up and think that because I'm like the prodigal son, because I sinned and made this mistake, that I can't arise and go back to the father. That there is no path back. I have messed it up too much. Sometimes we see very natural elements around us. Some of us who work for Next Door Painting are having fun right now with the lead count. A lot of our friends and family in Louisiana are watching floodwaters rise. It seems very natural. Let's deal with it in the natural. Some of you have been spiritually beat up, and you've stayed that way. See, but when you begin to look at the whole testimony of Scripture here, from Hosea to Luke to Jesus all the way to Abraham. It doesn't really matter whether you're experiencing adversity because you sinned in the past just because of mere natural circumstances, the enemy, or the Lord trying to teach you something. There is only one response. Only one. I will arise and go unto my Father. I'm going back to the one who rescued me in the beginning. I'm going to seek His favor because in His favor I find the unity that I so desperately need. When I seek His favor, I find what I need for the next day. I find my daily bread. He's going to teach me how to walk up this mountain because I don't know. Regardless of where you're at, saints, whether it's external circumstances, internal sin, the one response that is life-saving on a daily basis, no matter how long or little you've been in the kingdom, I'm going to arise and I'm going back to my Father. Because there I find repentance. Because there I find supernatural power. There I find the kind of things that marked the apostles. I want to arise and go unto my Father. Because we're going to see the promises of God fulfilled. Let's go to Zephaniah 3. The ninth verse. Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call in the name of the Lord and serve Him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the river of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people will bring me offerings. On that day, you will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me because I will remove from this city those who rejoice in their pride. Never again will be haughty on my holy hill. But I will leave within you the meek and humble who trust in the Lord, in the name of the Lord. The remnant Israel will do no wrong, will speak no lies nor will deceit be found in them. In their mouths, they will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. The remnant of God here is revealed. And what does it say? I'm going to purify them. They're not going to speak lies. They're not going to be afraid anymore. A little bit like Philippians 1.27, so that you may not be frightened by your enemies. Cody and Steve, would you stand up in that aisle for me? Just 
side by side in there. Like, I'm trying to get through this aisle and you're, you're going to prevent me. He says, they're going to serve shoulder to shoulder. What does that mean? It means a little bit like these two here, who are no longer just standing by themselves. They're standing shoulder to shoulder. It's a military term. If these two want to advance somewhere, and they're an army that's advancing, this is how they do it. They do it shoulder to shoulder. The description that's being given here is about a people that have been restored, that are no longer afraid of their enemies. And their response is that they begin to serve shoulder to shoulder, like a military, like an army. We often talk about the army of the living God, but how does that actually apply? It means that the brothers on your left and right are as indispensable as two men that are in the army and are shielding each other, who are strengthening each other. The living God has called us to serve like that. So what you need to do tonight is get rid of sin. What you need to do is repent and arise and go unto your Father. What you need to do is ask the Lord for that spirit that fills with power, that joy of your salvation to return and arise and go unto your Father. What you need to do tonight is grab hold of the brother, sister on your left or right, that you haven't been walking as closely with as you should, do it tonight. We need each other. We're going to see the promises of God fulfilled in here. But I can't do it without Buddy. I can't do it without Cody. I can't do it without Nick. And I can't do it without Daniel. It's time to walk shoulder to shoulder as the army of the living God. Because I need you. We are going to arise under our Father. In our closing scripture, let's go to Revelation 12. The 11th verse. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They. Am I the only one in the room that has ever read that as, yeah, I'm going to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony? Be honest. Even if you didn't say I, substituting it, that's where your mind immediately went to, is your own life. But it says they, doesn't it? See, we as a body will fulfill the they. We will be the ones who overcome by the blood of the Lamb, which is that very favor of God and the word of their testimony. See, what we need now in times of trial is to seek the Father. It's to go up into Him and find His favor and stand in unity together because both are required when tidal waters are coming. One hand isn't enough. We can't just seek our own personal visions anymore. We can't just be unified and not seek the Lord anymore. We need to be men whose eyes are on the King of kings and have locked arms with our brothers so that we may not shrink back. Let's show our love for our Father tonight. I'm so proud to be a part of this church. The pastors here, there's such rare, such rarity. I mean, it's difficult just to describe how uncommon that is. But do you know what is even more rare? It's for a congregation 
to learn to stand together and to not be a one-man show. And that's what we're learning to do now. We're going to take communion. We're going to do all kinds of other things. I want you to take a minute. Square your heart with the Lord. Make sure that there is no area that you're allowing yourself to be held back. That there's something, it devices between you and another brother, you and a spouse, you and anything else. And then go move on with the promise that God has called you to. Amen? Amen. Wow. Good word, Would you guys stand with me, please?